So this Advent and Christmas season, I've been working on a little pet music project that I'd like to do. I've always been a fan of making mixtapes and now playlists. And there's only so many times that you can just make a Christmas playlist with Christmas songs that it's not basically the same playlist in a different order, right? I, I really particularly like to try to work on a theme or a prompt or an angle and mash up songs from different albums and put them together in different orders. And they, it's weird because they start to mean different things side by side as part of a, a new different whole than the album they were originally on. Maybe that's a sermon for another day uh, about how we're like being the church is like a mixtape in which we sound differently than even we're used to hearing ourselves sound when we're reordered or remembered with other members of this body. But that's a different day. This year, though, my, my mixtape, been really enjoying trying to find and discover and put together Christmas songs that don't know their Christmas songs, right? Here's what I mean by that. Here's my rubric to get on this playlist, and it's not a very big playlist. The song has to be about Christmas, can't be a cover of a hymn or a classic or a carol, and it can't come from a Christmas album or like a Christmas compilation. No, now that's what I call Christmas, 18 or whatever, right? These songs have to, have to come from someone's, someone's heart, someone's, someone's songwriting throughout the year. So I'm thinking more of, of songs that have now become kind of common or Christmas canon for us, like Joni Mitchell's Melancholy the River. Like that was on Blue in 1971, not a Christmas album. Or the band's King Jamesy, This Must Be Christmas Tonight, right, from 1977. There are like five people who were alive in 1977 in this room, so sorry. Or like Big Star sang this song on Je called Jesus Christ. It was just like in the middle of this amazing, moody and strange record. And then this Christmas song, just right in the middle. Or even like newer ones, like, um, like Amy Mann has, has a song called I Was Thinking I Could Clean Up for Christmas on this record. And it is like melancholy and feisty and a little regretful. Or like a Durham band, like His Golden Messenger has this, has this record called Hall with a song called I've Got a Name for the Newborn Child. And I think that record came out in like June, right? So these songs are, are like little eruptions, little surprising windows into what people are thinking about when they're not even necessarily knowing what they're thinking about. What they're thinking about Christmas, what they're thinking about how God intervenes and interrupts and comes into this world, how even in these seasons, which for some of us are really sad, how God is, is moving in this Christmas spirit is at work. Sometimes these songs slip by unnoticed, but often if you're playing these records, they're very noticeable. They stick out because they show up in strange times and places on records that aren't particularly sacred and in times that are kind of ordinary. Perhaps the most impactful songs of Christmas are the ones that don't even know their Christmas songs because they're embedded into the middle of songs of love and loss and sin and joy and they're in the middle of the places and things where real life happens. 
They kind of make some really great Christmas songs, I think. And so it is with Luke's gospel that we read a little snippet, kind of the Charlie Brown snippet today of the, the Christmas story. But I encourage you to read the first four chapters. Just sit down and, and read Luke in a sitting. And it tells the story of Christ's birth through songs. And I think there are songs like these because these are, these are Christmas songs before there was such a thing as Christmas songs. And these might even be Christmas songs that don't even know they're Christmas songs. Luke uses these songs to, set, to tell the story because God's people have long known that mere prose or histories aren't heavy or rich enough to hold what's going on when the Spirit is at work in this world. So we need song. Like Mary's Magnificat is, is what we call it because of, in the Latin translation, she says, my soul magnifies, Magnificat. Um, she is encountered by this angel who announces the fulfillment of Israel's um, expectation when Israel's God would intervene, not only to bring justice and peace, but also to reside with us. And Mary can't help but answer in a song. And I'm not sure I would sing right away if someone showed up to me or showed up to Rach and said that. But she sings. She sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. My, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he's scattered the proud, he's brought down rulers, he's lifted up the lowly, he's filled the hungry, he's sent the rich away empty. Well, when you put it that way, Mary's song is like no sweet Broadway tune, right? Hers is kind of this intense protest anthem. She joins the song of her people's pain while completely remixing their future because God has come into their situation. As often as you can find songs about Mary on like Christian radio, her song is hardly what I, I picture folks in Nashville like beating down producers' doors to record, bringing down the high and bringing up the low. Her music, like most of the poetry of the prophets or of the Psalter, isn't about keeping polite dinner company or erecting walls between politics and religion. It's a primal shout for God to keep God's promises and intervene to save creation. That's what's happening in this song. What would it be like for us to ask God to work these sorts of songs in you and in me so that if someone pricked you, like this song would come out of you. Or if someone like put that sort of challenge or question to you or announcement for you, like the angel, that you'd have a song like Mary coming out of your lungs. What sort of hopes and desires or self-sacrifices would you have to practice and cultivate for such a canical response to God's like hard ask of you? His ask for obedience, his ask for you to join with him in renewing creation. Or take old Zechariah. If you're not familiar, Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad. Elizabeth was his mom. And Zechariah has this ballad. As a, as a dad, often searching my own memory, really blurry-eyed at like three in the morning for like the fourth or fifth verse of a hymn to lullaby that kid right there. 
I really particularly admire Zechariah's lullaby for John. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. And then he bursts in the song, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the path of peace. You see, this benedictus, as it's called, this blessing, was being sung over John many years before he like, tasted his first grasshopper or was fitted for his first hair shirt. Like, can you imagine? Like, I, I can see them bringing Elizabeth like this baby gap hair shirt, and she's like, well, it's 18, it's 18 to 24 months, so we're going to have to slide it to the back of the closet for John. Uh, but like, long before that, Zechariah was singing over John this future, this destiny as a forerunner and as a pointer, empowered by the Spirit, preparing the way. Perhaps that's always how it is with the good news. Before it's on our lips, it's always in our ears. Maybe that's why hearing is kind of so passive, right? Like we all have eyelids, we can shut that off, but none of us has earlids. I hope we can talk if you have earlids. Um, hearing is passive because we can't help but let that into us, let that seep into us, be a part of that. But it also takes great attention. That's why throughout the scripture, there's things like in Isaiah 6 where it says that the people that Isaiah is talking to are going to be hearing but never understanding. That's why when Jesus is telling parables, he always kind of ends this enigmatic story with, let the ones who have ears hear. Because it takes our action to get involved with what God is doing. What would it look like to ask God to tune your ears to these sorts of songs? The songs that God has long sung over us. Songs like the song from Isaiah 40, Comfort, Comfort My People. So that instead of hearing accusation, you can hear God's love and acceptance and grace. And instead of hearing hopelessness, you can tap your toe to the grand story that God has called you into and has carved a very particular place in for you to participate. Where there's that Simeon song known as, and Simeon was also known as the God receiver. If you see iconography, you have old man Simeon holding the Christ, the Christ child. And it's something like an old, I imagine him kind of like an old bluesman in the temple courts. After years of rehearsing scales, it says he was righteous and devout. He eagerly awaited the coming of the Savior. And after years of opening himself to the improvisation of the Spirit, since the Holy Spirit rested upon him. He was holding the kid Messiah in his arms, and his song shifted from minor chords to a major key. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. Each of these vignettes show us that the gospel, the good news, is a sung reality. It's too big. It's too 
much, it's too joyful, it's too deep just to, to be read, it's gotta be sung. Perhaps to be the people of the good news is just to have a clue when to join in and what note to sing. That's what, that's what we need to learn together. What would it be like, like Simeon, to have your whole life built on a song that you only vaguely knew but haven't even heard yet? What kind of patience would it take to keep listening for it, to keep listening for God? I think all of these um, ways in which we're formed by and for music and singing, maybe this is why, in a more modern example, uh, maybe this is why for all the practical ministry and the deeply theological work that someone like the Wesley brothers, you might know them as the founders of Methodism, maybe for all the work they were doing and all the things that they're famous for, maybe they're best and most commonly known by some of the songs that Charles wrote, like Come Thou Long Expected Jesus or Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You see, I understood this enough for, for John there was John Wesley, who was like the preacher, theologian, and Charles, who was like the songwriter, and they were this amazing tag team. Maybe this was, they understood this enough for John to give explicit instructions for singing. And if you go to most Methodist churches right now and open the United Methodist hymnal, you'll probably see in the first few pages, like John Wesley's instructions or directions for singing. And they include things like sing all, like sing all the words, don't just pick and choose because these words are, are good for you and that'll help you join the congregation when you sing. Or my favorite, sing lustily and with good courage, he says. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or half asleep. I hope our songs after communion are way louder than they were before taking in this good advice. Or he says sing modestly, do not bawl as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation. Don't destroy the harmony. Or it says, sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. <laughs> right? Good advice. It says, don't sing too slow. And above all, sing spiritually. It says, always have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. It says, your songs, your sound should be offered to God continually. These directions are helpful when we encounter a psalm like our reading today from 96. For we must sing it all. Not just fixating on the new, but also the ways that God is renewing and working within the old creation to bring about God's glory among the nations. We must Walk the line between singing lustily and also being modest in our song. It's really exciting, like the psalmist, to triumphantly declare that our God is the true God and all the other so-called so gods are worthless idols, but that sort of declaration should send us towards our own sort of spring cleaning, first and foremost, before we start calling out the easier to recognize idols in others. We need to clear out those idols in our own lives. And we must sing in time during this Advent season. Maybe that's the hardest instruction for us. Because this Advent time that we're singing in is this already not yet time. Where Jesus has already arrived, but we're waiting for him to come again to judge and to set up his kingdom in full. 
So we need to operate with this sort of bothered patience, this assured hope between Jesus' first and final arrival with an urgency as we experience and extend Christ's presence, this God with us-ness into the neighborhood, into our families, into the world. So we must sing in the spirit like Mary, the God-bearer, like Zechariah, the God-pointer, like Simeon, the God-receiver. Singing spiritually means gathering up creation's praise. The psalm says heaven and earth and sea and countryside and trees, and you almost imagine just a bunch of ellipses and everything else in all creation singing to welcome God home. It says because he's coming. And singing spiritually means joining with God as God's put right people, putting the world rights as a sung people singing redemption songs in this world. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for these songs. God, it'd be so boring if we didn't have these songs. It'd be so scary if we couldn't relate to you by singing. It'd be so sad. Help us uh, rejoice. Help us do it in song. Help us fill um, these, these beautiful songs that, that we sing this morning and that we'll go out of here singing with, with hope and with uh, our whole hearts and our whole minds and our whole bodies and our whole spirits as living sacrifices as we walk out this door. Lord, we thank you for first singing over us at creation. We thank you for sending your son to be born, to be received, to be prepared for, and to bring about this kingdom. Lord, help us hope and wait and lean into this kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And let us sing while we do it. Amen.